Why, hello there. Welcome to Biblical Chili. Now listen, the cruise is just about to start. Let me fill you in on a few details if you've never been here before. You see, we speak openly about the Bible and our daily walk with Christ. And it's our continuing prayer that we help you grow closer to Jesus every day. Now, you might be wondering why it's called Biblical Chili. You see, around this table, we have people from all walks of life. Different histories, backgrounds, different futures, even different religious views. But even with all these differences, that shouldn't hinder us from carrying on a conversation. And you stepped in at a good time, too, because the Chili Crew is walking through the Bible from cover to cover. And right now, they're in the book of Exodus. Moses talking to a burning bush, plagues, Exodus out of slavery, and the Ten Commandments. Woo, this gives me the collie while I was just thinking about it. All right, everyone, we're going to continue where we left off last time uh, in Exodus. So this is our, our trolling through Exodus. I'm so excited because I, this is, I love the book of Exodus. There's just so much here. Last time we sort of ended off with talking about the genealogies. Uh, and that's chapter 6, verse 14 through, I think, 27. Most of those are just their genealogies about trying to say where Moses came from and to prove that Moses was Moses and Aaron was Aaron. But we're going to start on chapter 6, verse 28. We'll just be continuing on, I think, all the way through chapter 7. Uh, so 628. And it came to pass on the day the Lord spoke to Moses in the land of Egypt, that the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, I am the Lord. Speak to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, all that I say to you. But Moses said before the Lord, Behold, I am of uncircumcised lips, and how shall Pharaoh heed me? So the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you as a god to Pharaoh, and Aaron your brother shall be your prophet. You shall speak all that I command you. And Aaron, your brother, shall tell Pharaoh to send the children of Israel out of his hand, or out of his land. Verse 3, I will harden Pharaoh's heart and multiply my signs and my wonders in the land of Egypt. But Pharaoh will not heed you, so that I may lay my hand on Egypt and bring my arms and my people the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt by great judgments. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand on Egypt and bring out the children of Israel from among them. Then Moses and Aaron did so just as the Lord commanded them. So they did. And Moses was 80 years old and Aaron 83 years old when they spoke to Pharaoh. It seems like God's got this planned out pretty detailed. Like God just said everything that's going to happen in the next, what, 10 chapters or so of this story. The, the hardening of Pharaoh's heart is because of what God's going to do, not that God's going to necessarily push Pharaoh into a state of unsalvation. Is, is, am I, did I word that kind of funny? No, I would say that's pretty accurate. I wouldn't say that. I, I think sometimes there's some argument about whether or not God, I'm get for lack of a better phrase, uses Pharaoh as as a you know a living sacrifice sort of thing. Like we're I'm gonna harden him so that way other people at his sake, I'm gonna help other people, and I'm not sure that that's exactly what this is saying. 
Right, right. I'm, I'm just trying to reiterate it because we're going to hear this phrase, harden Pharaoh's heart or Pharaoh's heart is hardened. So like, like both ways, we hear that God says, because of what I'm going to do, because of what I'm doing, it's going to harden Pharaoh's heart. And then later on, there's like, I think the same number of times it says, and Pharaoh hardened his heart. You know, you know what I'm saying? Like Pharaoh himself hardened his heart against God. So, and I think too, like, this is a, like, when you look at the big picture of like what this is illustrating here, I feel like Pharaoh is kind of like the, the king of yourself or like it's your, your, you know, you know, your flesh, if your flesh is in charge of yourself, you know, that's how you will act. And so, you know, they're saying that, you know, God, basically you have to, you know, you're, you have, you're born into this like rebellious heart spirit and you see these wonderful things. And if you continue to be rebellious and hardened to it, then, then you're going to keep, you know, when you see God's wonders, it's going to, you're going to hate it because the flesh cannot submit to God. You know, we know that later says for the purpose that all of Israel or all of Egypt will see my signs and wonders. So it's like, there's a purpose to the fact that we were made this way. (laughs) Like it's so that, you know, God's glory can be shown and you can see that it's God's amazing glory that did all these things and not the flesh from that point does make their own choice. So this is kind of the story of like everybody. Like, I feel like if you, if you pinpoint to in and see Pharaoh as like, obviously, yes, he was one particular person at a particular time, but at the same time, this is like what everybody has to go to. And then you have to, you got to be freed from your flesh so that you can truly live to him. That's a good point. I remember remember the first time reading through this, uh, making a correlation that Pharaoh's positioning can be almost transposed to humans, to people. And so I think that speaks to a wider angle a wider angle view than just saying, okay, God used Pharaoh as a scapegoat for this, and I'm going to use him to help other people. But when you realize that this speaks to God's positioning versus our nature, it takes on a whole new life when you realize that so much of this so much of what's being spoken about Pharaoh, so much of what we hear about people's reaction to God's action in word during this time can be translated to what the natural inclination of people are today. You know, right. we're all Pharaoh. Like we're, we all rule our own world. We're all stubborn right. and rebellious. And yes. when, you know, when we see God's miracles and these amazing things happen, you know, you're either going to have your heart hardened more to it because you're prideful and you're arrogant and you want to rule your own world. And there was lots of Egyptians who probably fell right in line with Pharaoh who didn't leave. You know, they, they were, they also wanted to rule their own world. They wanted to be the Pharaoh. They wanted to stay in Egypt. So even, I, I think even Pharaoh in the story, you know, had that choice because he's, he's just kind of illustrating what we all are and what happens, you know? Well, I, I have a feeling that this is going to flesh out huge because with that comparison many times, and this, once again, this, we're going to be given a lot of foreshadowing in these stories because many of us know some of the details in this already and what's coming down the pipe 
And part of exactly what you guys are talking about, if we look at this, we find that there are some Egyptians that flip sides. And you were kind of hinting to that, Susanna. There are some who left. They flipped sides and they said, well, I'm going over here to Goshen. Even before the whole like exodus and everybody leaving, they're like, uh, no. And there were some Egyptians, I guarantee, that even did the whole blood on the doorpost thing to say, wait a minute, you know, this isn't right. I, you know, these people have been fine, yet we've been destroyed because of everything that's been going on. So I, I don't know. I think this is going to be interesting. So, okay, uh, I'll continue on. Verse 8. Uh, then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, When Pharaoh speaks to you, saying, Show a miracle for yourselves, then you shall say, oh, sorry, then you shall say to Aaron, Take your rod and cast it before Pharaoh, and let it become a serpent. So Moses and Aaron went in to Pharaoh. They did so just as the Lord commanded. And Aaron cast down his rod before Pharaoh and before his servants, and it became a serpent. You know, I got—I just got to say this. This is fascinating that God is giving Moses and Aaron such specificity about the situation to come. Like, you're going to, hey, you know what, guys? You're going to go in there. Pharaoh's going to ask for a miracle. Just throw your rod down. I'll turn it into a serpent, and it's going to do all this crazy stuff, and then you're going to pick it back up again. Like, I'm just saying, like, all this detail is in there about what Pharaoh's going to say, and and, and it just, I, I find it fascinating, because imagine being Moses and Aaron, and hearing these things, and them coming to be right in the beginning. Because they, there's verses in, I want to say it's Isaiah, I'm not 100% sure on that, I'll have to check, but there are verses in Scripture that says that God is the only one that can see the future and can tell the future. And in, in their eyes, they're, they're like the future is like five minutes from now once you make it to, to Pharaoh's court. Well, there's a, there's a couple of instances as you read through these accounts and even as we go further into what we're going to be reading that speak to God's positioning to be outside of what we know to be linear time for lack of a better phrase there are through lines that you can see and there are generalities that you can see that speak to overarching concept and it's really interesting when you see the way that god interacts with specifically moses aaron and the way he interacts in these situations that says okay this is going to happen and this is going to be a result and this is going to be this it's not that he is forcing the issue with in particular people it's that it it almost you almost get this sense that okay so you're getting a reliable narrator through this <laughs> that this is going to be an action and response sort of thing i almost look at it as and i love i love that you put it that way cuz in my mind i see god being like the ultimate mathematician so he yeah. can he can auto he can automatically calculate based upon what God knows about the character of Pharaoh and the character of, of Moses and Aaron and how they carry themselves and their bearing. And he's going to be like, okay, I, I can tell you what's going to happen. This is going to happen. Boom, 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 boom. Yeah. Uh, all right. So I'll continue on. This is verse 11. But Pharaoh also called the wise men and the sorcerers. So the magicians of Egypt, they also did like manner. 
with their enchantments. For every man threw down his rod. Wow, every man? So it sounds like there's more than... I've always been told there were like two. So every man threw down his rod, and they became a serpent. But Aaron's rod swallowed up their rods, and Pharaoh's heart grew hard. And he did not heed them as the Lord said they would. So was it Satan that was creating these serpents? Or was it an illusion? Or was this sorcery? Because obviously we would, we would assume, can I assume that we all believe that it was some sort of demonic power doing this because God's snake ate up the other ones like it was like they were nothing? Eh, that's a pretty fair assumption. Okay, okay. So I, I would assume that as well, that maybe Satan had a, a hand in it or maybe his angels had a hand in it to some degree. I mean, so was it an illusion or did he create the snake? I thought about it for a half second after I answered that. So what if it was actually how we've, we've been talking about it was already planned out? What if that was already planned out? What if he actually did it himself? God himself did it? Yeah. But because, then God's snake would swallow up his own snakes? Yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know. No, just think about it. Okay. So what's going to trip you out more? A single snake or multiple? Because if you think about it, somebody just throws down a staff and they go, oh, look, it's a snake. Oh, maybe it was a snake and it was just like dead or they paralyzed it or something. You know what I mean? But if you see multiple from different people, what's going to happen? That's going to mess with you more. It, it, I, I would say it would be more impactful. Although I don't know if I could fall into that camp. I don't, I don't believe, like knowing God's character, I don't think he would do a show just for the sake of a show. Eh. Normally when God does miracles, it's, it's, it's very poignant and purposeful. That's why I'm, that's why my assumption would be that this was some sort of demonic, the, the snake, the, the other snakes turning into, or rods turning into snakes would be some sort of demonic influence. Okay. I Did you guys? Yeah. That, that seems, that seems like if I, if I had to um, cast my opinion in a very specific uh, direction, I would say that this, this strikes me as more of a situation where God is using the situation to be, to bring greater understanding, to bring greater focus onto him. Maybe he specifically wasn't engineering every single part of it, you know, demonic influence of other, of, uh, of other situations sort of thing, but God's still using the situation as it was. Okay. I can see that. Okay. And I, I could see that you using the situation as it was to, to bring his glory out. Okay. Yeah. It's just, it's, it's just very interesting to me because as I was a child, I was reading this. I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, uh, and then, I don't know if you guys know, that movie came out, that cartoon. Um, Pharaoh and I. No, Prin- Prince of Egypt? Is, yes. Was that the name of it? That, that cartoon, I think, who, who did it? Disney or Warner Brothers or somebody did it? And it was, uh, it was, it was just interesting to, to see that because it came out when I was a, a teenager, uh, late teenager, early 20. I don't know. It was a while. Um, <laughs> Why do I feel like I'm the only person out of this group who has never seen this movie? That the you're Prince of Egypt. Serious. The Prince it's of a Egypt. Warner Bros. Oh, okay. Movie. Yeah. Let's let's check this out. It's a Warner Bros. <laughs> you can't say Warner Brothers. It's Warner Bros. It's trademarked. <laughs> Legitimately. All right. So let's pull this up, guys. Prince of e- this is Prince of Egypt. Is it? It's a very interesting movie. Um, I I will tell you. I would. Uh, 
based and and you'll you guys will see if you guys any any of you watch it and then you you go through the the episodes that we're going through right now of actually reading the Bible, huh? What a concept! And going through uh, Exodus, we find that there's actually a lot of a lot of mistakes in it. But for a child to look at the story, I think this honestly is a is a pretty close rendition of of the story. Yeah. Um, but I love this movie. <laughs> I know I love it too. But I I when I read the story myself, I'm like, oh man, they got so much wrong. And it just it just. Oh, right. <laughs> but <laughs> once again, though, it it was cute, and I think they did a good job. But it, it was it was good. It was good. But anyway, the Prince of Egypt. If if you get a chance to watch it, go ahead and watch it, and then and then listen to the rest of these episodes, and you go through the actual Bible to learn <laughs> what they actually happened. Whatever the serpent, you know, was kind of representative of. Like I think a lot of these m- miracles um, were things that the people could do themselves. And we see that all the time. Like people do something and they're like, I did that myself, you know, like I didn't, I don't know. Like, but then the point is the serpent kind of represented Egypt as a whole. Like that was kind of their, their, their symbol. So that is kind of true. Like they they have serpents all over the place. Yeah. Right. So they kind of, um, and they, you know, you see how they put Israel to work building all these things you know so they created egypt right (laughs) they did this all themselves so if that's kind of what this is representative of you know they're saying well we did all this work and we made egypt we made this thing that the serpent represents and you know god's kind of over here saying like but that doesn't make you the all-powerful one that doesn't make you yeah that doesn't make you the the god the the highest above all high things you know so i think we'll see that like as this goes through all these miracles um whether they're it are some sort of real literal witchcraft that was happening or it's a way to tell the story of what these deeper meanings are behind it i mean both could be true i was gonna (laughs) say maybe it's both the point is is that god through his through his servant Moses and Aaron, they threw their snake down and the other snakes meant nothing. Like they, they came out and God's snake still overpowered them. And guess what? Moses and Aaron still got the rod back. <laughs> like We even see, we see through lines of that, even in the new Testament of manifestation of other things and other quote unquote miraculous instances, okay. if you will, um, that that are still seemingly disconnected from from God and from that being the true um, source of whatever that manifestation is. So this would seem to line up with that idea that it doesn't that that these things can come from other sources, but ultimately, God's source of these things happening is superior to whatever other source that there absolutely. is. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. So we're diving in to a very big part. This is plague number one. So this is Exodus seven fourteen. So the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is hard. He refuses to let the people go, go to Pharaoh in the morning when he goes out to the water and you shall stand by the river's bank to meet him. And the rod which, is, which was turned to a serpent 
you shall take it in your hand, verse 16, and you shall say to him, the Lord God of the Hebrews has sent me to you, saying, let my people go, and they, that they may serve me in the wilderness. But indeed, until now, you would not hear. Thus says the Lord, by this you shall know that I am the Lord. Behold, I will strike the waters which are in the river with the rod that is in my hand, and that they shall be turned to blood. And the fish that were in the river shall die, and the river shall stink, and the Egyptians will loathe to drink the water of the river. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying to Aaron, Take your rod and stretch out your hand over the waters of Egypt, over your streams, over their rivers, over their ponds, and over all their pools of water, that they may become blood, and their and there shall be blood throughout all the land of Egypt, both in the buckets of wood and pitchers of stone. And Moses and Aaron did so, just as the Lord commanded. So he lifted up his rod and struck the waters that were in the river, in the sight of Pharaoh, and in the sight of his servants. And all the waters that were in the river were turned to blood. Verse 21, The fish that were in the river died. And the river stank, and the Egyptians could not drink the water of the river. So there was blood throughout all the land of Egypt. Then the magicians of, of Egypt did so with their enchantments. And Pharaoh's heart grew hard, and he did not heed them, as the Lord had said. And Pharaoh turned and went into the house, neither with his heart moved by this. So all the Egyptians dug all around the river, for water to drink, because they could not drink the water of the river. And, this, and seven days passed after the Lord had struck the river. Wow. Two things. Two things. Bring Two things. Uh, one, this is one of those sections of scripture where, for me, I, I know I use a different translation than most everybody else on the show and to me to hear what you're saying and then to read what my translation says is one of those validation moments of to see the beauty of different um translations that are god ordained to see different aspects of the same idea being expressed in different verbiage for different groups of people to be able to understand the same concept. Also, little fun fact, not to steal your gimmick, but did you know, you can look back at a, um, at, at one point in time, I knew the exact time period in which this was, but there was a time period where you can see a very distinct drop off and death rate of the habitable life of this geographical location that lines up with scriptural times. Absolutely. And I th I'm sure at some point we're going to bring that up. Yeah. <laughs> the survival tip that they actually used is actually like a um, well, a Norwegian well. So what you do is you actually go by the tainted water and you actually go about a foot away and you actually dig a hole and the water is no longer tainted. Because yeah. all the sand and silt and everything underground and gravel and everything it goes through kind of filters yep. it out. And it, yeah, yeah. 
Right. Absolutely. So scientifically, the end of that chapter was actually true. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. That's that's a great point. Uh, it sounds to me, though, that because we, we hear this much later on, it sounds like not just Egypt suffered from this because it said the entire Nile for seven days was blood. Right. The Nile, those of you, I, I wish I could pull up a, a map on, on, on this podcast, but just look up the Nile. It is long. It is a long stretch of fresh water. It's nice, but guess where? It, it goes straight through the heart of Egypt, man. I mean, that was their, that was their lifeblood. And I'm 100% speaking of blood. I'm 100% certain this is going to come up again and again and again and again, because we've talked about this. Every plague, and there's 10 of them, by the way. Every plague represents Egyptian gods being cast down by a single uh, monotheistic god. And that, today we look back at this monotheistic thing and we go, oh, well, yeah, of course, there's only one god. No, 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 you don't get it. Back then, as as nations, you did not believe in just one. There was no such thing as one. There was only, you know, the God of the river, the God of the rock, the God of the tree, the God of the sky. You know, there was gods of everything. But to have a single monotheistic religious faith system meant that you had a weak faith system. You only have one God. Well, we have 364. Tomorrow we're going to add another one. You know, like that was the thing back then. And so Egypt, and this this is just a side note, this Nile turning into blood cast down. God himself was casting down, let me count, one, two, three, like big gods in Egypt. And I, I really hope I pronounce these right. The first one was Khnum, and that is K-H-N-U-M. And this is the guardian of the Nile. Hapi, H-A-P-I. This is the spirit of the Nile and Osiris. The Nile is Osiris's blood. So here we see, and I'm just, I'm trying to put us, I'm trying to paint a picture of, of putting us in the, in the shoes of the Egyptians, okay? If we are in the shoes of the Egyptians, what we look at is the Pharaoh was considered a god. And often the Pharaoh would bless the Nile. Why? Because that was their lifeblood. That's how they grew crops and everything. And now all of a sudden, this Hebrew God of the slaves comes by and their prophet comes by and literally destroys all of the lifeblood of Egypt and, and turns it into rotten, nasty, all the fish die. It's disgusting for seven days. We can't even drink the water from it. Like the three main gods, and I'm sure there's more that have to do with the Nile, but the three main gods that they worshiped now look very weak in the eyes of the Egyptians. But also to add on to yours is the fact that, like, most cities build on waterways for a reason. To get resources, to have resources, to ship resources. So, if you take away two out of three, that's a bad news. Because technically you took away all three because now you are not able to ship any goods because there's no goods to have. So you're talking about economic effects here. Oh, yeah. Also, not just religious. Right. So you're looking at, like, just the survival rate alone. Okay, you the needy people and everything else. So you take away their food, you take away their water, and you take away their, their financials. That, that's a good point. In those seven days, I'm certain 
fa- uh, uh, Egypt was feeling it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I remember in college, I took a um, myth and mythology class, and the one religious system that the professor would not touch in any measurable account was Christianity because she couldn't, she couldn't reconcile it because what do you mean reconcile? Like, so so like put it in the, in the category of mythology. Well, to to what you had said that you look at all of the, especially the religious practices of the time, Christians, and I'm using a term that would come about later on from the time period that we're talking about, but people that were believing in God, in Yahweh, would were were considered weaker because all of these other belief systems were had so many different explanations for different um aspects of reality and different things they had an explanation for all kinds of different aspects of this and you could very clearly point to in history okay so the greeks believed in a god for this very natural thing and a god for this very natural thing same thing with the romans same thing with the egyptians and so on and so forth Whereas with Christians, it wasn't that kind of one-for-one sort of relationship. So eventually, if you're using that same kind of approach, then you will fail as soon as you approach the Christian God. So she couldn't, because in, it, so your teacher couldn't like fit it? Exactly. Like, like, that, uh, exactly. So she would attempt to hit all of these different belief systems with this same kind of paradigm that it was just a spiritual explanation for a very physical um, manifestation or very physical event. But with with the Christian God, that that whole approach starts to fall apart, especially right. when quickly. you take into consideration real world evidence and real world instance that points to hey this thing that this that this book is saying happened actually happened in real life it's not a matter of a bolt of lightning came across the sky and they needed they wanted a way to explain it and so it was zeus you know what i mean that kind of thing or what we said even with pharaoh so pharaoh you know if he's kind of representative of the person in the flesh, the person living where they rule their own world. And we, we apply that to people born today, you know, just the average person who was never freed from that. They have, you know, this, they might worship, even if it's the, I'm trying to think of all the like Greek gods and stuff. So it's like, let's say you have, um, do you want me to break them down? The real medical quick? industry, and you say, <laughs> you know, I worship the medical industry. This is the only thing that can cure me. This is the only thing that brings healing. You know, this is all powerful. If you can't do anything for me, then nothing can. You know. Yeah. If you can't so do like, something with me for with a pill, then you know. Yeah. Right. So, like today, that. we have all of these belief systems that we've set up that we say, you know, this is the only way for this, or this is the only way for this, and not that, as we see here, not that they don't work. You know, like the the magician could produce the serpent, right? But ultimately, you know, and we we ask ourselves these questions all the time when we're challenged. Like, why is God doing this to me? 
<laughs> you know, like people ask that question all the time. Why is why am I I sick and why am I sick and I'm not getting better? Or you know, it's like why are we putting we, being put through these trials? It's like because we're we are in the flesh and we need to be shown that all of these belief systems, even though you know they might not saying that they're there's no validity behind the science, you know, but that ultimately they are they are not to be our our number one you know so we need to be challenged in every aspect of our life and we are all the time and we see it all the time so that we know that god ultimately is in control of everything all of these plagues i feel like are totally applicable to today oh i'm sure and, and they all happen like if this is this could be the story of one person's life i've, I've had such a hard time like all these things keep happening to me. You know, it's like, well, what are you going to do with those things? Are you going to, are you going to be defeated and destroyed and, and, you know, which ultimately just leads to death and then you're just going to die. Or are you going to see that, you know, God's trying to free you from something and there's something better out there if you just believe it. This is, this is actually a good point because, and, and spoiler alert, there are 10 plagues. Okay. Uh, this is a great point because Pharaoh I'm, and not Pharaoh, I'm sorry, the Egyptians have built up these monolithic gods of, of stone and wood and and marble and, and just, you know, these beautiful things of gold and silver and just, and, you know, this is my God. And in the end, God tears all the, the, the God of the Bible, the Judeo-Christian God, tears them down right in front of their eyes. And, and and I'm not I'm not going to dive into the other plagues because I'm sure we'll get into it because this this is gonna this is gonna be the parallel that applies through this whole story of them exiting uh, Egypt because and and like like you just said Susanna the, the question is is okay you just saw that this god or in this instance uh, that I just told you th these three gods that have to do with the guardian of the Nile the the Nile is her blood and uh, these things. Now you you now have a choice. Are you going to go back to them after you've just shown that they're weak, or are you going to move forward and say, okay, so wait a minute, there's this other God out there. Maybe there's something more to this. So and and that's where the that's where the you know the choice of whether you're going to cross the Rubicon or not. Like, am I am I going to go or am I going to stay? I find it interesting. To, what do your versions say in verse 22, chapter seven, verse 22? Mine says, then the magicians. Are, of Egypt did so with their enchantments. What does your guys say? Magic. Wait, with oh. their secret arts. With their secret arts. So we have enchantments. We have secret arts. Uh, but again, the magicians of Egypt used their magic, and they too turned the turned water, water. into blood. Okay. So we got magic, secret arts. Magic. I wonder if they're quote unquote magics are just a, a, a spoof. You know what I mean? Like sleight of hand or something like that. Cause that's kind of the way that they portray it in, in Prince of Egypt. They kind of portray it as then they, they threw that, you know, they, the, they hand palmed, you know, red dye and poof and threw it into the water and, Oh, Hey, look, it looks like blood. And it's, it's actually just red dye and water or something like that. Right. <laughs> I, I'm just saying it just, it just, it's curious. I know there's no way for us to really know. I, my personal opinion is I think there was probably maybe, maybe miracles again, it's interesting when you when you take into consideration what seems like the ability for manifestation of different 
different things, different quote unquote miraculous events from different avenues than just the age old thought that it's just God, that like God is the only one that can make these manifestations happen. And there's a, a paradigm shift that happens when you realize that it's not, if it's, if it's not of God, that it's smoke and mirrors. That's not necessarily the case. Like it's there, there is real stuff outside of God. Just like, you know, it, it, when, when you look at this, it's easy to get caught up in, in parallels and, and different things like that. But it would seem like there's evidence to say that there was a direct one, one-to-one sort of relationship. And, and if anything, that gives more credence to God because God's manifestation is more significant than any other. Well, right. Like for example, like if let's say people in the people worship intellect, right? They worship, they worship the, the geniuses and the smarts and, and people's the ability to be funny or, invent cool things and you can i mean you can you can create and invent amazing things and then you'll have status and esteem because you did this but you can only create and invent according to the rules and according to the world that god already created and invented <laughs> so really your creations and inventions you know they don't they just don't you know they don't hold up it's not your own doing it's like god created all these wonderful things that that's, you know you can play with that's funny think, I, i've heard I people oh, go ahead, go ahead. <laughs> sorry go ahead I, I was just gonna say i've heard people say that i think it was pastor say or something like that like there's actually nobody's ever actually invented anything they've just discovered what god already put here <laughs> like they all they, that's all they've done is they've just mixed up and discovered what god already put but i still like they like edison actually failed 99 times no he just found out 99 ways not, not to, do to it. make right not to make a light bulb i love that that's a wonderful point when you can see when you when you can point to i'm gonna say proof text of the different ways that you can see that these things actually happened that there's evidence of these different things that we are operating within set confines that we don't necessarily need to look to what did this actually mean all the time that there are some times that we can see very literal manifestations very literal instances and different things like that they might be described differently based off of what religious book you're talking about or what history book you're talking about but regardless you still see very concrete evidence of these different things that you can point to that speak to you are playing within a very defined sandbox. <laughs> I like that. Uh, Susanna, could you end us in a word of prayer, please? Yeah. <sighs> Heavenly father, I just want to thank you for this awesome opportunity for us to continue to get together and dissect your word and, um, learn from it and just be able to communicate with you through it and through all of us together. Um, I just pray that everyone listening can 
catch the same bug and desire to want to read through the Bible and learn and grow, and that we can all just be humbled knowing that you are the ultimate authority and that you are above all things and um, that we can see you working and everything in our lives and know that, you know, what we have isn't because we did it ourselves. Um, it's ultimately because you allowed it because you're in control of everything. And we just love you so much. And um, I pray that all of that gives us comfort in the world today. And um, in Jesus name, amen. Amen. Well, this has been Justin. This has been Sully. This has been Joe. This is Susanna. Thanks, everyone, for joining us today. And uh, just a quick shout-out once again to Joe with his podcast, uh, Buddy Walk with Jesus. Uh, chime into there, guys. Drop a comment. Let us know what you think of that as well. Uh, we love you, and we thank you. Have a good night, everyone. And I said good night again, and I shouldn't have. What should I say? What's a good closing? Have... Till next time. Till next. Thank you. All right, Sally, you close out. (laughs) Have a blessed day. I like, okay, have a blessed day. No, no, I can do you guys one better. So, in this walk that we have actually gone on, you guys, please continue on with the Lord's work. You guys have a wonderful and blessed evening, day or night. (laughs) Now what? I get... I, I have I have one better I I have one better. If I don't talk to you, good afternoon, good evening, oh. and good night. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Now listen, just because this is the end of the episode doesn't mean it's the end of the conversation. You can find Biblical Chili on almost any social media outlet. Also, each week Biblical Chili goes live on YouTube. And if you're not a big fan of YouTube, just search for Biblical Chili anywhere and I'm sure you'll be able to find us. Or just go to BiblicalChili.com. We also want to make sure we give a shout out to one of our co-hosts, Joe, who's a host on BuddyWalkWithJesus.com. Now until we meet again, remember, be part of the conversation. Goodbye. Do you think they're still listening? I doubt it. There can't be that many people that listened all the way to the end of the track. Most will probably skip it. But in case you did, congratulations. You're one of the few. We love you. <laughs>